Hey everyone, my name is Nathan Forster, and I'm asking the big questions of authors and activists, scholars and survivors, poets and priests, therapists and theologians, and basically everyone in between. This will be a resource for people who, deep in their bones, think that surely God's kingdom is deeper and wider than the box we've sometimes put it in. And so what better way to discover this than by learning people's stories and their specialities, in order that we deepen and widen our perspective on faith, community, society, and life. So journey with me as we go deeper and wider. Today we're going to be talking with my good friend Kate Vos about being a woman in Christian leadership. Now I want to start off by saying that this isn't going to be a comprehensive theology or Bible study as to the reason why we both think that women who are Christians can be leaders and pastors in churches. That's perhaps an episode for another time. But we do talk a little bit about that. However, the main focus of today's episode is about exploring her experience of being a woman in Christian leadership. And it's through talking about this experience that we'll also start to unpack some other fascinating topics, such as how a theology of complementarianism and rigid gender roles emerged in the first place. We'll also explore about learning and embracing the divine feminine within Christianity as part of a more multifaceted faith. We'll hear her experience about the unique challenges of being a Christian woman in leadership. And of course, we're going to start to unpack things such as how can we challenge both implicit and explicit patriarchy both within the church and the wider society. And a fascinating look into what an egalitarian church would look like. So we'll be exploring those things and more. Let me tell you a bit about my guest today, though. My friend Kate Vos was born in the US and raised between Canada and Australia with a faith tradition spanning Anglican to Baptist, Church of Christ, Uniting, Mennonite, and Independent Pentecostal expressions. Kate has learned to be comfortable moving in liminal spaces. Kate's undergraduate degree is in social work, and her graduate degree is in divinity, and she is also a trainer and assessor. With a background in working with at-risk youth in inner-city contexts, in outdoor educational programs on a ranch in Canada, in the prison system and in a seminary overseeing the online learning program and training people for pastoral ministry, Kate is driven by a relentless pursuit of the unfolding, naming and shaping of the kingdom of God in every context. Kate also describes herself as a terrible gardener, loves single malt scotch, come on now, amen to that, and will beat you at the traffic lights game every time. So let's hear today from Kate Vos. So tell our listeners your faith journey. Um, well, I was raised by uh, a Catholic dad and mm-hmm. a Church of the Nazarene mum. 
And uh, the Church of the Nazarenes are largely in Canada. I think they're a little bit here. Have you heard of them before? I've heard of them, yeah. but I don't know of any congregations here. They've got this beautiful little heresy, which I love, yes. which is that um, if you get the second blessing, you can be sanctified, like, right here and now. Uh, I have heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. I so have heard All of you this. need is that second blessing, and then you are Then you're good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, nothing more needed. <laughs> Uh, interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, they somehow decided on a little Anglican church for our family. And so I was raised in an Anglican church. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the upbringing I had in that church was so beautiful in terms of like what the church is capable of from a community point of view. So mm. I felt deeply connected to the people in the community and yes. deeply connected to the sacramental theology in the church. Yes. Before, of course, I had any idea what sacramental theology sure, was. Sure, sure, before the language had this experience yeah, yeah. of, of but the But it practice. was rich and potent and beautiful yes, and wow. sensory and, yes, um, yes. and so on. I, I remember the first time I went to a Baptist church and they handed me the communion cup and it was grape juice and I was like, what is this? Yeah, this, this, this we ain't, are this ain't torn. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. stand up and revolt. <laughs> <you know? laughs> This ain't wine, this is juice. (laughs) So I feel really grateful now for that really rich kind of sort of seed planting. Yes, yes. Um, And it was around that time when I was in that Anglican church and I went on a school, uh, not a school camp, a scripture union camp actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, all these kids were sort of in this room singing this song together and I had this feeling that I felt really weird and I didn't know what was going on. Mm. So I left the room and I went out onto the balcony. I think I maybe thought I was going to be sick or something, you know. Mm. And all of a sudden I was slain in the spirit. Wow. Yeah, by myself. My goodness. Yeah, with no one else around. And I didn't know what was happening. Yes. So I just... I don't know, maybe I thought I was having an epileptic fit or something. Yes, yes. But I couldn't move and the heavy, and I started like speaking in tongues and seeing wow. visions and the heavens opened and I saw all this stuff. Man, that's like a full on like penty, charismatic yeah. experience. But I had no idea yes. that there was even that world. Wow. I okay. never even heard of the Holy Spirit yes. at this point. Yes, experience before any theology or any no. any any words to describe oh, no. it. Yes, yes, wow. Yeah, and so um, I was lying out there by myself, and I don't know. At some point, I lost track of time, but at some point, these like three leaders came out to the balcony, and they were all told separately by God that there was a kid on the balcony having an encounter with the Holy Spirit and needed to be ministered to. Wow! <laughs> so they all got woken up out of their beds because the evening session packed up and everybody went to bed and yes. I was still out there by myself. Oh, my goodness. And all these yes. leaders were woken up by God and brought out. And oh, my used, word. Yeah, yeah. Wow. What an experience. It was really quite intense. And um, and I was like, what's going on? And I, start, I started looking at this leader and being like, this is going on and saying things about their life and who they mm. needed to talk to when they got back. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was really – I had no framework for understanding what I was doing or what I was saying or what was happening to me. Mm. So they, in their wisdom, sort of just let it all unfold and one of them took notes and wrote everything down for wow. me so I wouldn't forget it later. Mm. And um, from that point on, I sort of – it was like a baptism by fire. Mm. Like literally, I yes. was like, oh, I guess I'm penty now. Like, yes, was- right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't choose that. Yeah, yeah, chose yeah, me. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so th- those three leaders all yes. went to Churchlands Christian Fellowship. So mm-hmm. they all started okay. bringing me along to Churchlands. Yes. And so I got brought into the Vineyard family and introduced to all this kind of new way of worshiping yes. God, a new way of thinking about scripture and theology. Now, now for those who don't know, Vineyard is very yeah. charismatic, yeah. penty. Yeah. 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 Okay. So um, that was my. Those were my formative kind of teenage years, and for a, for a period of like I don't know three or four years in that time. It was like the spiritual realm and the physical realm mm. um, were just the same to me. So I wow. could see spiritual stuff happening around me all the time. Wow. And you know wow. when you're a kid, like you just think that what happens for you is normal and that's what's happening for everybody yes. else. So I didn't realise that that was bonkers until now, like until uh, later on. You know what I mean? I was <laughs> sure. just like, 
was talking to God on my way to school and he would talk back to me and we'd have yes. a conversation and wow. I'd say, what do you want me to do today? And he'd be like, I want you to do this and this and this. And I'd be like, okay, some of that's weird, but I'll do that. Wow. So, yeah. My goodness. Yeah, for yeah. you, this is a normal thing. Yeah. But yes, yeah. Yes. So it was just the water I... Like I went from being Anglican mm. and not knowing anything about the Holy Spirit to mm. like living in the Spirit wow. day by day. My goodness, yes. And uh, so it was a really interesting time. And yes. I remember one of the visions that came to me on that balcony was I had a vision about the church I was in. Mm. And um, the leaders who were sort of there said to me, you need to go and tell your minister about this. And so when I got home, I was quite precocious to the 12-year-old. I called up the minister and I was like, hello, David, um, I need to make an appointment and see you. And he was like, oh, okay. And so he took me out for a cup of tea mm-hmm. in a cafe in Subiaco and I said, oh, I went to camp and this is what happened to me. And I had this vision about our church and I told him what the vision was. Mm. And um, he was like, oh, wow. He was like, well, yes, mm, that's very interesting because now I have a decision to make and if I make the wrong decision, the church is going to split. Whoa. And I was like, well, good luck with that. Like, I'm 12. Like, see ya. Yes. You know, yes, like, yes, I, I was like, delivered yeah. the message. Yes, yes. You're the messenger. And yes, <laughs> yes. yes. And uh, the church split like two weeks later. Wow. So wow. I don't know if it was the wrong decision or the right decision that the sure. church needed to split or whatever. But um, I saw God work in all these kinds of ways during mm, that time. My goodness. Which yes. kind of really formed and shaped me. And I think it, it, it formed and shaped my faith in ways that I probably still haven't quite reckoned with. Mm, sure. um, there was this other thing that happened one night where God woke me up and he was like, I need you to walk down the street and, and go into this building that's mm. down the road from you. And I was like, yeah, random, like whatever. So mm. I walked down the street in the middle of the night mm. and, and he said, hey, I had me lay, lay my hands on the wall and start praying over this building. And I was like, oh, that's a little weird. So yeah, I was right. praying in the spirit over this building. And yes. he's like, now I unlock the door, go in. Mm. So I went in and he's like, now there's a piano in here. I want you to sing and praise me. So I was like singing worship songs. Wow. I did that two more times at different times, like after school in the middle of the night. Yes. yes. Never knew anything about it. And then when I was like, 19 and I'd come back from Canada where I was living and I and that memory came back to me about that building and I was like that was random what was that and I drove past it was the Masonic Lodge oh <laughs> my word yes I know I didn't know what the Masonic Lodge was yes, I didn't know yes. yeah you, you were just obeying yeah that that felt sense of God speaking to you and going okay yeah I go there and do yeah that. my goodness okay. I know right like, I feel like if I'd known what Masonic Lodge was, I'd be like, no way I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yes, Like, yes. never in a billion years. Yeah, wow. So I think those sort of early formational experiences really taught me to hear the voice of God and to trust that I was hearing the voice of God. Wow, um, wow. And so I'm really grateful for that sort of dual upbringing, yes. if that yes. makes sense. Yes. So from that point, I went on to sort of explore the Church of Christ world and the Baptist world, and I went to a uniting church school. My goodness, yes. And I moved to Canada, so I was involved with this, like, very um, evangelical movement called Power to Change. It used to be called Campus Crusade for Christ, and um, mm. I did a lot of my spiritual maturity and, and growing in faith and community in, in that space. Mm. Um, and I was shaped by the Mennonites and the evangelical yep. reform tradition, tradition in Canada. Yep. So it's like I full My goodness, yes. yeah, yeah, Very, yeah. very eclectic. <laughs> totally eclectic. From a yeah. church, different churches, different denominations, yeah, movements point exactly. of view. Exactly, yeah. And my uncle is Catholic, so my whole dad's side of the family is Catholic. And mm-hmm. so um, I think if I probably had to characterize the way my faith looks now as a mm-hmm. result of my ecumenical upbringing, I would say that in my spiritual direction, both mm-hmm. the, the direction that I go and get and the direction that I offer, mm. is quite Catholic in terms of its kind of essence. Mm-hmm. And um, my <laughs> my service liturgy preference would be yeah. quite Anglican still. But yeah. I love the liturgies. Yes. But my prayer ministry is like Pentecostal. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> The way yeah. I like to worship is charismatic. Yes, yes. Um, and in my private time, I'm a contemplative person. Yes, So that's wow. where I find most oh, of my strength. But it's, it's also wonderful mm-hmm. because I think having yeah. these different backgrounds inform yeah. that rich tradition in yeah. your own life yeah. like 
it's, I think yeah. it's wonderful. Yeah. But like many people who I think you're probably talking to, it also gives me a sense that I don't belong anywhere. Yes, yes. So I, do, I, <laughs> yep. I feel like a prodigal in every context. That I'm wow, in, wow. Or a, an outsider. Yes. And so I don't feel like I belong in the evangelical circles and I definitely don't belong in the Catholic circles mm. and I certainly don't belong in the Anglican circles mm. anymore. And mm. So I've always felt like I haven't fit in. Yes. Um, yeah. But that probably came along with um, sort of my background yeah. and um, some of the things that I've been called into in leadership. So I've, I've actually made peace with that now. Yes. And I just, I like to live in the margins now. Wow. I'm actually quite happy there. Yes. Mm. Wow. And I guess that leads me to my next question. That is about your, your call into professional uh, <laughs> ministry slash leadership. I mean, I know we, we can probably play with the word, what we mean by ministry, but yeah. I hope, hopefully our listeners get what you mean, yeah. get what we mean, I think. Professional ministry being that very explicit kind of like yeah. church-based type yeah. style leadership. So tell us about, about that. Well, the truth is I actually don't feel called to the church-style leadership yeah, okay. um, and ministry. In fact, I think God would have to do a major work in me to call me to pastoral ministry. Yeah, okay. Like, I, yeah. I can't imagine anything worse. Yes. I would be a terrible pastor. Like, no <laughs> one should ever let me near a congregation. Oh, that's great. That's I would fun. decimate them. Yeah, right. I'm yeah. a great guest preacher, yeah. so I do love to preach and communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly church-based pastoral ministry is mm-hmm. not a good fit for me I, for a whole yeah, lot of reasons. yeah. Yeah, so, I, I really resonate with that personally. Yeah, yes. yeah. So I'm quite comfortable with that. So in terms of my ministry calling, I never felt like um, there was uh, this is how your ministry is going to look type calling. Sure. But certainly when I was 12, there was a number of prophetic words given to me during that time about my ministry and they were all around Jeremiah's call to ministry. Yeah, okay. Um, so I was spoken to at Jeremiah 1 repeatedly in my life over wow. different times. And so... Um, I feel like the ministry that I'm called to is in some way prophetic in that it's on the margins Mm -hmm. and it sees through to the heart of what's really going on. It seeks to call people to a space of paying attention to what God is doing in the midst, if that makes sense. Yes, yes. Um, So I'd actually think that doesn't need to happen in the church. In fact, I think the church is doing a pretty poor job of that (laughs) in many ways right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, I think... The sense that I had for being called into ministry probably happened in my most recent ministry mm. uh, role um, happened because my background and my training is actually working with young kids, um, kids at risk, mm-hmm. the vulnerable kids and yes. social work and so on. Um, and I felt most like I was in my sweet spot theologically mm. and in my ministry when I was ministering to kids at risk. Mm. Mm. And it was out of that um uh, my husband is a uh, pastor mm. or was a pastor for many years and m- many of our friends were pastors and I could see how many pastors were burning out. Mm. Mm. And I um, I started to feel like this deep question about who's looking after the people who are looking after all the people. Yes, yes. And I started feeling called into that space. Yes. And so I sort of pursued that thread mm-hmm. about 10 years ago mm-hmm. and I ended up meeting um, an, an amazing woman who... Um, sort of took me on a, on a journey with, where I did a, a leadership training um, thing with her and I was I was doing my own sort of stuff in my own life when my kids were little and um, and I ended up sort of uh, being called into the area of pastoral care for pastoral carers, so training yes. people in pastoral care. Yeah. And I loved that as well because I brought all this background of working with people who are vulnerable yes. and saw the vulnerability of people who were in ministry yes. and yes. how ministry calls out mm. all of the shadow that we didn't ever dance with. Yes, yes. Um, as well as the stuff that's good that we can offer and mm. how people aren't stewarded well and supported well in that um, task. 
that they crumble and fall yes. and that their crumbling and falling is often spectacular and devastating. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I've spent probably the last decade sort of ministering into that space in wow. one way or another. My goodness, um, yes. Whether that's informally um, through a practice I have with clients mm-hmm. or um, in my teaching that I used mm-hmm. to do at the at the seminary um, and in all sorts of different ways, actually. Yes. Um, and so it's sort of evolved, if mm. that makes sense. And mm. it's still evolving. I'm still going, God, what are you doing? And he's yes. always just saying, where are the brokenhearted? Mm. Where, are the, where, where can you bind up? Wow. Um, wow. And so I just kind of tend to move with that. And I don't get uh, caught up in, like, what the formal function of it is. Sure. Sure. Um, just the essence of it is for me, like, what is God doing? What's, mm. What is the Spirit already doing? Yes. And how can I move in step with that? Oh, so I love that. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, that, it's that co-partnering <clears throat> with the Spirit Absolutely. in that moment as opposed to yeah. thinking that we have to figure it all out, right? Absolutely. God's already doing something on the ground and it's about partnering totally. with that. And I think the gift of the 40s, which is the decade that I'm in now, is that I, I don't actually care what formal function that takes. I'm yes. completely unattached to however that looks. Mm. Mm. Um, are relentlessly pursuing what the spirit is doing here Ooh, and now in I love our that. midst. Yes. And just walking in step with that with yes. whatever tools in my belt I've accumulated over the years. Yes. So yes. That, that could be all sorts of different things in any different context. My goodness, far out. Yeah. So it seems like it's 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 once again it's that it's a eclectic yeah. kind of approach because of the spirit's leading. The spirit yeah. has no bounds. The spirit no. does what the spirit does. Yeah. My and goodness. I'm really very unconcerned with the you know the way I mean, a lot of people are clutching their pearls and say, oh, the church is falling apart. I'm like, let it happen. Yes. Let it unfold. Yes. 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 The spirit is the boss and yes. bringing good yes. things out of brokenness and yes. deconstructing. Yes. Um, yes. And so I'm a big fan of deconstruction too. Yes. I'm like, wherever God is deconstructing, there's something new is about to be. Well, and, and that's the, the story of death and resurrection, isn't, isn't it? it? Like, isn't it? Because that's the thing. People often assume that <clears throat> when, when people are critical of church, that we're therefore critical of any sense of, of community or any sense no. of the body of Christ. Like, no, 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 no. It's just the current form. Yeah. There's a current form that Or just needs... this one expression over yes. here, which yes. is harming these vulnerable people. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. So, yeah, I'm completely open to how that might look down the track too. Oh, that's yeah. really good. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess more specifically because, yeah. you know, whether or not you had planned to be in these environments or yeah. not, you've, you've been, whether whether by accident or, or not, there is been, has been some leadership roles that you've yeah. been in. Yeah. Um, and you know, today's topic is about <laughs> being being a woman in leadership. Yeah. Um, so, so what's been your experience of being a woman yeah. in leadership, in, in Christian leadership? Um, I think when you're someone who is a natural leader anyway, you sort of end up walking into a room and you like you're in leadership wherever you are. Yeah. And so I don't really see a, like a, I wasn't in leadership and then all of a sudden I was. Yes, it yes. feels like I've always been yes. in, since I was 12 and I started yes. leading worship in my church. Yes, I'm yes. like, okay, well, now I've got to do this. Yeah, so people have that posture of leadership yeah, that, that yeah. walk into a space is already a, yeah. a yeah. hopefully a healthy commanding, so to speak, if, if that if that makes sense. Hopefully. I don't know. But anyway. Yeah, that's what all the spiritual direction's been about. Yes, um, no, good. Do you, good. Are you familiar with the Enneagram? I am. Yeah. So I'm an eight on the end. Oh, you, are you? I'm yeah. a seven, which you, which you probably guessed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yes. I'm a seven wing. Yeah, and, okay. Um, so the eights, though, are the dominators, as yes. you know. Yes, And so I share a type with people like Pol Pot and Hitler and Stalin <laughs> yes. and Donald Trump. Yes, oh, my ben, word. Ben Midler, you know, people like that. Yes, yes, um, yes. And so I've always just sort of found wherever I was, if there was a vacuum, mm. I've been a leadership. I'm like, I step in and, oh, there's something needs to be done. Oh, I guess I'll do it. Yes, um, yes, And so, yes. again, it's never been this sense of like, I mean, there was a particular moment in time probably about five years ago where um, my boss at the seminary where I was serving um, left 
Mm-hmm. And it was, and uh, I was like, oh, I wonder who they're going to hire. And um, my husband said to me, you should go for that job. And I was like, no, I don't want to be. And but then my my boss did apply, uh, asked me to apply. So yes, I did okay. end up moving into an executive mm. um, role at the seminary, um, and that was probably <clears throat> the most recent um, expression of leadership that I've had in my life. But yes. up until that point, I had a pattern of. I would go and work somewhere for six months and within six months I'd be in leadership in that place. Yes. So that's yes. always happened to me. And so I've yes. stopped I've stopped being like, oh, leadership's a thing and just being like, this is who I am. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and <laughs> when you so, found yourself just so happened to be in those spaces because yeah. of who you are as a person, yeah. is there is there a, a felt a difference of like um, how other people respond to you being, being a woman in leadership then? <clears throat> well, um, there have been. And I think uh, some of the experiences that I've had um, as a, as a woman in leadership have been. Um, I think I have often felt like an imposter. Ooh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So imposter syndrome is a thing that women have. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> maybe have, unpack that for us because you know yeah, so, I'm, I'm a guy. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so guys often don't struggle with this. Mm. Um, I'll give you a great example of yep. this. My sister, she won't mind you telling me, me telling you this, but. She has a PhD in her field and she lectures um, at UWA and she's actually like head of her school. And so she's an internationally respected expert in her field. And she lives with this, with this fear that she's going to end up flipping burgers at McDonald's. Wow. Like she is honestly like the most, res- like she flies yeah, all wow. over the world. Wow. And conferences and papers. And yet she has this yes. underlying fear there. Yeah. Yes. And so often really competent people have this idea. And I can't remember, I can't tell you how many times I've done this. I've been driving along in a car going, who's letting me do this? Yeah, wow. <laughs> you wow. know, like yes. sort of like this feeling of like, <gasps> maybe I don't have what it takes, yes. you know. And yes. I think mm, there is something in the water that we've drunk and the air that we breathe as mm. women which has given us this message that maybe we don't belong and maybe we were wow. like, maybe we shouldn't be there. My goodness. Uh, and so it's even though on the outside I've always seemed like, yeah, I'm, I'm here and I'm in charge and people think that I have a commanding sort of presence and I have stepped into that. That's been one reality, but the reality behind the scenes has been mm. like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? What if I screw up? What if I get this wrong? Like, wow, yes. It's real. Um, I wouldn't call it an insecurity, but it's like a, it's almost like this false identity that at any point someone's going to see through what you're doing and be mm. like, you're a fraud. Yeah. And yeah, then you shouldn't be here. Out. This yeah. isn't your space. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. Uh, and so in the last, especially um, for me moving in theological academia mm-hmm. in the last five years, um, being in rooms with people who have you know multiple PhDs and who are experts yes. in their field, and yes. it's really easy to feel intimidated and like, oh my gosh, do I belong at this table? Wow! Um, and I really relied a lot on my male colleagues in the last five years to pull out a chair at the table for me and go, "You do belong in this room. Yes. Like, sit here yes. and remind me." Yes. And wow. um, I've had to stop relying on them to do that and sure. actually find that voice in myself. Sure, yes. Um, and yes. I think that's part of the journey that I've been on this year actually yeah. is discovering my own inner authority yes. and letting those last vestiges of imposter syndrome kind of die out. Yeah, But yeah. I know I'm not alone in that. Like hundreds, like almost every competent woman, if mm. you meet a competent woman, you can bet your butt that she has battled with imposter syndrome at some point. Wow, yeah. far out. Yeah, and so it doesn't matter how qualified you get in your field, you always yes. feel like, mm, maybe it's not enough. Wow! Yeah. Wow! Are there any other experiences as well that are quite quite unique to being to being a, a woman in leadership? Um, yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, there are. I mean, there's lots, but um, where do you start? I mean, being appraised on your family status, on your marital status, on your um, what you wore to the meeting, on your personal appearance. 
um, there's all sorts of ways that you sort of feel like you're being appraised and, sure. and judged and, sure. and so on. I was in a room in January with um, leaders um, in theological academia from all over the world who had met in Dallas for this um, conference and mm. it's about the future of the faith and work movement internationally. Yes, yes. Um, and it was about the future of theological academia. And so I was in this room with all these white male married mm. men <laughs> who had a huge proportion of them, because we were in Texas, had mm. voted for Trump. Yes, yes. And I'm yep. standing there in this like conference hall oh, and I was, there yes. would have been 300 people at this conference and mm. I would have been one of under 10 women. <gasps> wow. And I was certainly the only one under 50 in the room. Yes, wow. And so... That sort of experience of feeling like you're the only one in some of those spaces that are very heavily male-dominated, and I imagine it's the same in elite sports Mm. and the same in um, the in the marketplace Mm. on Wall Street. I imagine it's the same in all sorts of different contexts. Yes, yeah. Um, And so, being feeling like I'm like representing my entire gender here in this room full of it it can be actually very intimidating. That's it. It would be. It would feel quite overwhelming. I would imagine. I used to be a bartender mm. and uh, I used to manage nightclubs and bars in Canada. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was my previous life. And I can remember standing there in this conference in mm. Dallas with these really nice Christian men, shaking hands with them, thinking to myself, this guy voted for Trump. Mm. And <laughs> going, I felt safer in the middle of a bar yeah. brawl wow. when I was a teenager yes. than I do right now in this room. Wow. Just, wow. yeah, like just some of the body language and some of the, the you know, that. I guess that space, it's so mm. filled with. Yeah. That type of person times, you know, 290. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Mm. So it can it can be it can feel very isolating and very lonely. My goodness. Um and then I mean there's all sorts of other things that happen. So your your um motives can be for being in those rooms can be misread or misconstrued. Mm. Um mm. and particularly I mean I was thinking about being um a, a healthy Enneagram eight. Is that an Enneagram eight person is actually motivated for care of the most vulnerable, mm. and so all of the work I did um, in that space mm. was actually about what does it look like for the kingdom of God to come here and now? Like that's mm. my yes. end point, right? Yes. Is like how yes. does the kingdom of God emerge in all of its various expressions yes. among us? Yes, and how can then the way we train people yes. to bring about that flourishing of the kingdom of God? Yes shift and grow and morph in order to support better outcomes yes. from, a, from an ecclesiology point of view, right? Yes. So that's yes. my end point. Yes, yes. Um, and so you'll find that all Enneagram 8s are motivated for, like, who are the most vulnerable, who are the marginalised, yes. and how can we, yes. like, get behind them? Yes. But because 8s are keen on having um, efficient communication and just cutting through the BS, yes. but it can often come across like they're on an ego trip. Yeah, whereas it might not necessarily be the case. You just want to get straight to it. Almost definitely not. Yes. If they're healthy. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. So, I mean, there's all sorts of... You're a healthy eight. I I, I know of some very unhealthy eights in my life. Oh, trust me. I've been very unhealthy at times. Yes. Oh, it comes and goes. Yes. Stick around, man. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Same with sevens. It can be erratic and all over the place. Yes. Yes. I think also um, other women being insecure that you might take their place at the table because there can be this scarcity mentality that there's only two seats at the table for women. Wow. So if you take yes. one, then there's nothing left for me. My goodness, which yes. Is, I just fundamentally disagree with that mm. framework. I'm mm. like, let's just put more seats around the table. Yes. Everybody sit, sit yes. down. Yes. We all belong. Yes, yes. But that can be one of the things women can wow. sometimes, you can accidentally step on women's insecurities or and, and men's insecurities mm. and they respond to you differently. My goodness. Um, yeah, so it's interesting. Something you touched on before which which I, i've heard other women speak about who are in leadership that i go oh wow it's, it's important for me to be aware of that yeah. and there's the sense that you touched on them before of like performance <laughs> criteria linked to how they look or 
performance criteria linked to what they do in their their private life, if how their families are going, or, and it's it's always linked to things like oh motherhood, yeah, or yeah, how they right. look rather than their professional work, and that's not to throw shade at motherhood or anything like that because no. it doesn't have to be a war against no. being a mother who might want to yeah. be more explicitly at home yeah. but it is it is interesting how even in leadership or even at some interviews that I've heard those are the questions that are asked yeah as opposed to the more professional questions yeah. of like yeah. well what have you been like in previous workplaces yeah. etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah. like I, I've had to be mindful of even just and I'm not inherently against on commenting on someone's looks, whether they be male or female. Yeah. But the last thing I want to do is be like, be like, oh, you look swell today, rather than, right. oh, you did a good job today. Yeah. <laughs> like your actual professional work, not yeah. not that your hair looks amazing. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if that yeah, totally. if it makes sense of that, yeah. that judgment. Is that something yeah. that? happens quite a bit in leadership uh, with people who aren't bright it does yeah yeah okay. with yeah. people who are very bright it's usually a bit more subtle than that yes right so you can you can see it coming if they're not if they're not really um switched on yeah they don't have a lot of smoothness yes <laughs> yes then you can see it coming and you can sort of get out of the way and let them clumpily lumber by you you know yes right. um but it's always the ones that you don't see coming that take you out that kneecap you my you goodness um, yeah so uh, towards the end, I remember I went through as a, a, like a whole evolution of like working out how I was going to dress as a woman in leadership. <laughs> I've heard this before. Yeah. yeah. My goodness. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, patriarchy. We don't think that. Me, nah. Men don't have nah. to think that. Uh, like, right. you know. Yeah. I read this article and this is what changed my mind. This woman wrote this amazing article. I can't remember the name of the author, but it was a fascinating study where she decided to wear nothing but men's suits for six months yeah, right. and see how she got treated. Mm. And she wrote this whole article about how liberating it was wearing a suit and how much she enjoyed it and the pockets. You know, there was, <laughs> there was deep, this whole treatise on pockets. the pockets. <laughs> and I remember they're like always in like high heels and needing handbags. And I was like, yeah, she's onto something. And mm. I changed my whole wardrobe after, yeah, well, this, after reading that. Yes. I stopped wearing skirts to work because I didn't want anyone looking at my legs. And I actually started looking at my male colleagues who were a similar age bracket to me. Mm. And I was like, I'm going to wear that. And I started wearing blazers. Yep. And long pants yep. and men's shoes. Yeah. Gen- genuinely, I wear men's shoes to, yeah. to meetings. Yeah, all right. Uh, yes. And button, like tops button right up to the top. So yep. no one could ever be like, oh, look at, you know, your top's a bit loose. Yes. Or, you know, like, or yeah, yeah, look yeah. at my form in any way. And I, so yes. I just wanted to walk into a room and feel like I belong. Mm. And my dress reminds me my goodness. that I, I'm like you. And so I actually, like, parked my femininity. Well, and that's what I was about way. to say. Because you had to, it sounds like in all of this is like you were trying to conform to the patriarchal standards. Well, actually, it just made me feel safer. Wow. It's like, wow. It, it was just that better. says a lot. Yeah, it just made me feel safer. So I would still put on a full face of makeup and I would do sure. my hair. Sure, So that for me was like, I'm still me. Yes. But it made me feel safer. My goodness. Yeah, it made me feel like my, my reputation was going to be protected and, and that um, I wasn't going to be looked at or objectified in any way. Wow. It's crazy to think that it's 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 not that – it's, oh, I, I got to fit what the societal yeah. work norms are rather yeah. than – Actually, what are ways that the societal work norms can be yeah. ship shaped and changed to be more equitable yeah. as opposed to yeah. patriarchal? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think the other thing that is uh, probably really tricky to navigate is when you have men who you're trying to work with and collaborate with who have really fragile egos. Yeah, right. And you can see guys like they're coming a mile away, you know, mm. and you sort of you know you've got to kind of walk this fine line between 
stroking their ego so mm. that, you do, that you can get done what you need to get done, yeah. but also challenging them the right amount so they don't get away with stuff they shouldn't be getting yes. away with. Yes, yes, uh, And that's actually a very tricky line to toe that I think mm. women face more than other men. Yes. Um, and that, to me, is something that I have not seen in spaces other than the church world. Interesting. Yeah. My goodness. So, Tell me more about that. This is fascinating. So when I was in leadership, say, um, in the hospitality scene in Canada, so yep. when I was managing, um, you know, bars and, mm-hmm. and so on, I was always, it was a male-dominated space too. So mm-hmm. I was I was bartending with heaps of blokes and I was I was, a man, I was the only female manager at, mm-hmm. at one point. Mm-hmm. And um, these blokes, like their egos were about, um, they, they were about having fun, but uh, me being there was not challenging their worldview in any way. They were like, you just make it more fun. Yes, right. Um, and so I got sexually objectified at mm, times, mm, um, mm. but you can see that coming a mile away. So sure. that's actually, honestly, that's not the topic of the conversation here today and I, I could care less about talking about that. Yeah. Um, and that's that was actually easier to manage because it's so overt and you can yes. call it out. You can be like, how dare you Yes. in the moment? Yes, yes. And they can be like, sorry. Yeah, it's easier the name because you it's, can see it. Yeah, yes. Yes. you know, and, and you can sort of laugh at it and then you can move on. Yes. Um, but I think what's tricky is when you have these men who are like, you're very present in this room and at this table and this is what I picked up on in that conference Mm. is challenging my deeply held beliefs about where you actually belong in society and because you are here I now don't know what to do with my hands or where to look or how to speak to you and I can't tell you how many times I encountered that at this conference that I was at with Southern Baptists right so I do actually think there's an element of toxicity to Mm -hmm. the the patriarchy Mm -hmm. that comes from a spiritual place which Mm -hmm. is so dark and so demonic yes that to stand up and face it by just showing up and being in a room Mm. takes a huge amount of energy wow Wow. um and there were times to to be honest with you, where I was, I would stand in my closet and just cry and be like, I can't go in. I my goodness, go serious that level. Yeah. My yeah, goodness. Yeah. yeah, and and I don't think I don't think I'm one of those like there's a demon behind every door kind of people at sure. all. But there was something so dark in a soul way. Wow. About encounter because on the outside they're like nice and polite. Yes. And so that's the out. So you can't call it out. Mm. But there's mm. something about the way that they relate or the way they look at you or the way they encounter you or the way they speak about you, which is so dismissive and so fearful. My goodness. And so then you realise you've got got a fragile ego and you have to act the right amount of different. Yeah. And you have to be like, thank you so much for letting me be here and you have to act like you're grateful to be there. Yes. Um, And also you have to then not sell your own gender out by actually letting them get away with treating you like that. So you've got to gently challenge it. My goodness, yes. Yeah, it's quite a dance. That would be, Mm. my goodness. That exhausted me. Wow. I'm so glad to be done with it. <laughs> My goodness. And even just hearing this, I'm getting humbled by going, yeah. ooh, what are the ways that I can be like this? <laughs> like, no, you don't do that. Oh, that's I, nice. I, <laughs> you, can, you can spot them a mile away. You can yes. see it coming. And so yes. you can see who the safe ones are and who yes. the unsafe ones are. Yes. When you've encountered it quite a lot, yes. um, you can spot them coming a mile away. Yeah. I think, uh, not, not to self-gloat too much, but I think the danger is more when, when if, if I wasn't aware, or, yeah. or, or guys aren't aware about how they can subtly participate. Yeah. In, well, in you wouldn't be asking me to come on a podcast and talk about women leadership if you had a bone with that in your body. True. <laughs> that's that's, You'd be that's nice. You'd be with another man about where there's women's role in the church. Maybe wow, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that's happening all over the place. Oh, my goodness. And it is. It is. It is. It is. Uh, I've, how I've are heard... you still talking about this in 2019? Oh, my goodness. And because there are whole theologies behind that as well. Totally. And what what is the name of that particular theology i know it's a bit of a label and there might be nuances with this but oh you're talking about complementarianism yes yes maybe <laughs> maybe if, i don't know if you want to but if you can unpack yeah. that a bit because 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd love to unpack that a little bit. I didn't even – I was probably raised in complementarianism and, and didn't realise that's what it was. So it wasn't until I was probably in my 20s that I started mm. to be able to have a bit of a like, hang on, what's going on here? How come these women are allowed to lead in this space? But over here I know that these women aren't allowed mm. to lead and I couldn't quite discern what it was. It can be hard yes. to put your finger on um, but basically, and in fact, what I'll do is I'll send you a link to a really good mm-hmm. article that if your listeners want to follow, because I'm not a systematic theologian by any means, so I'm sure. just going to skate across the top. Yep, yep, no worries. Um, but if people want to do some more research on this, mm-hmm. um, there are all sorts of really amazing people who can speak more intelligently about complementarianism than I can. Yep, sure. Um, okay. But basically what happened was in the late 70s when the um, feminist movement was sort of um, picking up steam yep. and trickling into the church. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a theologian around that time uh, called George Knight III and he published a book called New Testament Teaching on the Role and Relationship of Men and Women, Mm. which went on to become a seminal text on the complementarian viewpoint. Interesting. And in that book he was very clever because he was trying to be a voice in his context. So he was trying to work out how can I appease the feminists and at the same time hold on to this patriarchal viewpoint of Scripture um, and legitimise it from a systematic theology point of view Mm. and um, in fact what he did was so clever and so sneaky and Mm. so close to good to actual good truth as all well constructed heresies are yes yes um his premise was that hey men and women are equal have equal value in god so the feminists are like oh oh okay oh that's good Mm -hmm. and it's like wait for it's almost like delivered like a novel later but wait there's more but they got different roles yes (laughs) so this idea of this word roles right Mm -hmm. so he took like if you and i think about roles right if i think about so think about you and the roles Mm -hmm. that you've had old yes yes like roles can kind of change and transmute over time Mm -hmm. you can have one role and then you can be like actually i'd like a new role yes yes um so roles have this sort of culturally um nuanced way of, of, of presenting themselves to us mm-hmm. where it's sort of like, oh, it's a bit fluid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he gave the word roles a, a, a sort of a meaning mm-hmm. that no dictionary has anywhere. Interesting. Okay. And yep. so his idea about roles were that they were ordained, divinely ordained wow. at creation. My goodness. Before the fall. Mm. And that the roles are that men are the authority and that women's role is to be obedient. My goodness. Um, and the way he constructed that, heresy mm-hmm. is even more mind-blowing because it sits on the shoulders of another heresy, which mm. is the hierarchy of the Holy Spirit. Oh, tell and, me. And the Father so, and the Son, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. So he has this idea, right, that like... This is great. This is so oh, meta. I love it. <laughs> so here's, here's, to, here's a bad analogy, right? Yeah, okay. I'm not a suspended theologian, but his idea is like the Father is in charge of the Son and the two of them are like parents and their offspring is the Holy Spirit and the Holy mm. Spirit is subordinate to the both of them. Yeah, I've heard of this before. Right. It's quite common. It's Mm. really heretical. Yes, it is. It's awful. Yes. And yet so many evangelicals were like, okay. Like, and I think it's because we haven't thought very deeply necessarily about Mm. our systematic theology and Mm. we we trust people in leadership. I was going to say, it sounds like the leadership versus the the peoples. The the peoples are going, oh, okay, yeah, Yeah. I'm not a pastor, I'm not a theologian, but I'll swallow it. Yeah. Yeah. And so this idea that women were to be obedient and men were to be um, in authority, sort of that became sort of cemented in that work. And then lots of other systematic theologians like grabbed onto that and they were like, mm. yes, a brilliant and, and they sort of added to it. And so mm. there was a sort of corpus of literature that emerged mm. um, from this from this one guy. Mm. Um, 
And I guess, like, the, the funny thing is that, you know, any Old Testament scholar worth their soul would laugh this idea of something happening in Genesis 1 being therefore mm-hmm. transmutable for all time. Mm-hmm. They yep. would laugh that idea off the table. Like, it just doesn't hold yes. any way in the broader yes. context yes. of the Genesis narrative. Um, but unfortunately, as I was reflecting on, you know, how I was going to sort of frame this with you today, I was thinking, like, why did it stick then? Because mm. it's it's indefensible theologically and biblically. It's mm. indefensible. Mm. And I mm. think it struck a chord with the, the people who really wanted to hold on to the patriarchy and they really wanted the church to thrive mm. and they really wanted to appease the feminists. And so I think it ticked a few boxes. They were like, we're equal. Yeah. It's just that we have different roles, but it wasn't our fault. We're not trying to take away. Wow. It was God. Yeah, yeah. God Thus made, says the Lord yeah. and we just got to roll with it. Which is fascinating to me because the whole idea, like the, the, the translation of like when God makes Eve and says he's your helper, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. such a bad translation yes, of helper. Yes, like, yeah, where that, it's a much better way to describe that Hebrew totally. word. Totally. Yes. And where it's used in the rest of the Old Testament, it's used to denote last-minute divine military strength intervention and rescue. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like those are the yes. words that are used to describe yes. like the divine feminine. Yes, wow. That's yes. where the divine feminine was born. Yes, yes. But it's like the divine feminine has just been co-opted out of wow. the scripture, not out of the scriptural narrative because it's still there. Yes, yes. But it's been co-opted out of the reading and the interpretation of scripture for yes. the last thousands of years, yes, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> Um, it's only been in the last hundred years that women have been allowed to have a voice or wow. to read. Or to, yes. And so we're just in this, I think we're in an age where um, there's a call for the divine feminine to yes. be recaptured yes, and for its essence to be re- reborn in this new ecclesiology that we're yeah. trying to grab hold of. Yes, yes. And my gut feel is if we do that well, the church will have a fantastic rebirth. Oh, I think so that's as well. what women do. We yes. give birth yes. to Yes, yes. <laughs> I love it. I'm serious. Yeah, like, yeah. We it's have good. that creative power. Yes, um, yes, To yes. do that. Like that's part of our God-ordained role is to yes. do that act of creation. Yes. To oh, mirror love the creative that. heart of God yes. in our body. So yes. it's pretty phenomenal. Like how's that for an embodied theology, right? Yeah, yeah. That, um, that's incredible. So that's complementarianism <laughs> yes. and a primer. Yes, yes. Um, sure. And it's still working itself out. I mean, it's still really deeply held. Mm. Lots of my dearest friends and many of them women. Mm, would mm, still believe that mm. and they would still believe that women shouldn't be in authority over men and and you know they and they hold on to that in mm. the same way that you hold on to something like um like nationalism mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know they don't hold on to it because it's theologically or biblically defensible they hold on to it because there's something deeper in them that's yes. like i got to hold on to this because this is somehow my identity yes yes and behind that identity a sense of security whether or not the security yes. is a, 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 a you know, need to be there or not. Yeah. But certainly the felt sense of like, well, if this is gone, then what? Then what? Yes. Yeah. So I can't tell you how many fascinating conversations I've had with, um, you know, because the, the people who uh, don't subscribe to the complementarian viewpoint mm-hmm. usually call themselves egalitarian. Yes, right? so, yes. Well, that was going to be one of my <laughs> questions, right, to talk about yeah. a bit about that. Anyway, you, you, you go on because yeah. you're, you're on the roll and oh, it's great. Well, <laughs> um, my old boss... Was like he's like the most calm, like easygoing man mm. ever. He doesn't he doesn't have a temper. He's very. The only time I ever saw him get riled up was when he started talking about complementarianism. And and his comment to me that like really was that eye opener was like, mm. what gets me is the women that get on board with it. Like mm. how do they not see that they're oppressing themselves? Yes, that was the only time I ever saw him wow. get worked up about, wow. about wow. something like that. 
And I was like, yeah. And it's like women actually often become like mm. the gatekeepers of complementarianism and they are much more fierce to contend with than the men in some ways. Mm. Mm. Like I actually think deep down men are actually longing for the divine feminine counterpart to come out. Yeah, right. Yes. Because they recognise the lack in themselves. Yes, yes. Like we complement each other. We were designed to complement yeah, each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. And there's a vacuum. If there's all female leadership, there's a vacuum. Mm, if mm. there's all male leadership, there's, there's a, a vacuum. vacuum. Yes, So yes. we both feel There's it. this ebb and flow, that yeah. synergy that has to occur. So the most dangerous complementarians, in my view, are the female ones. Yes, wow. Because they actually adhere to it from a place which is quite broken in yes, my view and, yes. and connected it somewhere with their identity. And one of my um, mates sort of described it. I was like, why can't they be challenged on it, you know? Mm. And he was sort of like, it's like they've constructed a pyramid of their identity mm. and if you take that piece out, the whole pyramid falls yes. down. And I think he's right. Yes, a house of cards. Yeah, yeah. it's a house of cards. You pull that one out and everything goes. Mm, mm. Um, and it causes mess in their own life because, of course, exactly if, right. if they – have, if, they're, if they're with people in their, either their church or in their private life that do have that complementarian point of view, the mess that will occur, exactly you right. know, and it's, it's well, let's rather keep the peace than make yeah. make a type of peace that might be messy first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it does call out, I mean, it has huge ramifications for yes. like domestic violence and intimate yes. relationships yes. And, and so on because this whole idea of male headship legitimises the mistreatment of women mm-hmm. from the church. Yep. And yep. so I think you have literally you know thousands probably millions of women now who mm. are you know hashtagging church to me yes too yes because their domestic violence or their sexual abuse or their whatever it was was somehow endorsed or co-opted by the church mm. in mm. some way so there's like this twisted spiritual element to it yes. as well yes um and from a cosmic point of view mm-hmm. you know it, i mean it's really destructive like it's, oh, it's so evil <laughs> it is it is yeah you know and because I mean, you, you said something before, you, know, you, you very, very briefly touched on, you know, <clears throat> this is, there, there is a spiritual force behind this. Yeah, there, this is, yeah. this is, is a, there's a demonic element to yeah. this, which makes sense. I mean, this is just coming to me on the spot right now. So yeah. I might be completely wrong, but, yeah. but even just Galatians where it talks about a, a, a genuine yeah. um, equality there of mm. actually in Christ, there's no male, female. Right. And it's like, Oh no wonder this is demonic when we when we remove that core aspect because yes. the 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 cosmic beautiful equalizing power in the universe yes. which is the cross yes. and Jesus of course when that's removed then we can say oh well yeah you're equal but not really yeah and and do this complementarian yeah. or terrible complementarian garbage yeah. yeah you can see that there's the the demonic force behind that because it's removing it's removing christ it's actually removing jesus from the center who who actually equalizes the whole human race and not not in the way that removes distinctiveness no that's right and i think that's very important that's right and i mean this is a whole wider conversation to to hold both galatians in one hand that says Mm -hmm. we're all equal in christ and also revelation the other which says every Mm -hmm. tribe nation tongue that's right so you you hold both you you don't You don't yeah. remove distinctions. No, that's right. You know? yeah. I guess yeah. that's, as you were pointing on before as well, mm. going all over the place, but mm. I think it's important just yeah. to say, it's going to what you said before as well, that that a redemptive complementarianism isn't what we're talking about in the negative. It's actually going, well, yes, we, we are different, but the differences doesn't mean that therefore you can't go there or you mm. can't go there. You have to stick in that role. You can only go in that yeah. role. There, there is a, re- a redemptive distinctiveness 
yeah. that works in synergy and together. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, the, the male and female that we see um, in Genesis, mm. I mean, that's God's design yes. for a reason and purpose because both energies are needed. Yes, yes. And like you said, Jesus does actually bring those energies together. Yes, And he was yes. probably the perfect example of the divine feminine and the divine masculine yes. perfectly embodied in a human form. Yes. And I actually think we can all, we all have divine Yes. feminine and masculine aspects to us. Yes, yes. And we can actually bring those um, sort of energies into alignment yes. both in ourselves yes. and also in relation to others. Oh, my word. Um, oh, this is so beautiful. <laughs> I, mean, I, would, I mean, I'm not sure if it's too much to ask to yeah. maybe briefly touch on it, like the divine femininity. I'm not sure that's too much to ask yeah. in, in this podcast episode. Yeah, totally. Um, but maybe explain a little mm. bit more because I can imagine some listeners will be like, this sounds very new agey or yeah, this sure. sounds very like... Yeah. Will be, and I'm like, I mean, yeah, I just point it out there, yeah, and sure. you can say as much or as little as you want. Sure, sure. Um, well, look, there's wisdom in every tradition, isn't there? Yes. Um, yes. And but in our tradition, mm-hmm. the divine feminine and the divine masculine are portrayed in Genesis. Yes. So mm. it's not woo woo. It's yes. biblical scripture. Yeah. For starters. Um, and this idea that God is male, we all know that that's ridiculous. Mm. We all laugh at that. God doesn't have God a penis. Yeah, no, that's yeah right. exactly. Yeah. Um, and so this idea that we were created to be different and opposite and, and complementing one another um, has at its core not this idea that we are, it's not a heteronormative um, idea, but it's this idea of, of complementing the other in some way which yes. brings out the best yes. and offers what the other can't. Oh, I love that, yes. Um, and yes. so for, for me, the divine feminine essence is actually about duality. Mm. So it's about the capacity to yes, create something new mm. out of the own, like their body, mm-hmm. for example. So childbirth is a beautiful example of that. Mm. Mm. Um, and But it's also about this idea where um, the divine feminine is about holding in balance light and, and shadow together mm. uh, and that both are actually welcome and both are actually needed. Mm. Um, whereas the divine masculine um, is, is different to that. It offers a different energy which mm. is... Um, more incisive and decisive and much more. So I think what we what we have in the in the patriarchal sort of iterations of the church mm. is that like there's only one way to do things, mm. mm-hmm. and this is the right way. And if you're not on my camp, then you're against me. Wow. And what the divine feminine does is like is offer a, a duality approach, which is like what would it look like to hold these things in tension? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so because there are times when there is one right way to do things and there are times when things need to be held in tension. Mm, And so when the two are working together beautifully, discernment can happen about what's needed. Yes. Right? Oh, that's that's wonderful. Um, And so for me, it's not necessarily this, um, it's not something woo-woo. It's just this idea um, that, the, the, you know, I love it that, Adam, like God creates Adam and then he's like, and you're going to need last minute divine military strength rescue. <laughs> I love so that. So here's a woman. Yes. You know, like, yes. so the man is like probably physically stronger in some yes. way, in those typical archetypal ideas of male and female. The yes. man is typically stronger and the woman is typically softer. But all of us who have encountered men know that, and, and women in, in their best forms mm. know that a strong woman mm. can still be soft mm. and that a strong man mm. um, can actually also be soft. And yes. so, so they yes. can both be tough and they can both be soft and they complement each other. Yes. Um, and so that's this discussion completely aside, by the way, from what this looks like in terms of bodies and gender sure, and sexuality. Sure, yeah. And all so that. all that aside, which all is aside, which is important but another conversation. And, but way too big to yes. touch on today. Yes. But just in terms of energetic idea about what's missing when mm. we have complementarianism, I think yes. what's missing is this idea that 
what would it look like to hold two things in tension? Yes. Um, and the ancient um, cosmologies, all Indigenous ancient cosmologies, mm. were very matriarchal in their iterations. Mm. And so mm. the Hebrews, for example, were like completely comfortable with the idea that God and Satan came from the same being. Mm. You know, like Interesting. they were like they didn't need it to be split. Yeah, but right. You have this yes. split in the in the narrative where Abraham takes um, Isaac up to be sacrificed, mm. Mm. and all the all the feminist and the womanist theologians at that point are like, "No, you lost us. No woman would take their yeah, yeah, <laughs> child yeah. up to the mountain." Yes, to, yes. Uh, and so it's almost like that's the the fork in the road where sure. the narrative is taken over by the by the patriarchs and, yes, and some yes. of the female voices are sort of silenced wow. at that time. Wow. Um, and so, um, but if you look deeper, sort of beyond, um, you know, biblical scholarship into um, Indigenous cosmologies, mm-hmm. ancient Indigenous cosmologies, yes. Often, yes. they're often matriarchal, deeply yeah. matriarchal. Yeah, fascinating. In their capacity to be like, oh, light and shadow exist together. Yes, yes. Um, but we are so uncomfortable with that in the West. Mm. And we're uncomfortable with that as evangelicals. We're like, no, no, no it's only light. We dismiss the shadow. Yes, we've got wow. to pray it away and we've got to disown it. Wow. And it's to our own poverty. Yes. And it's to our own demise often because yes. the, the, the capacity to integrate and own our own shadow is what brings us to maturity. Yes. Uh, and what's, it's what makes us not be a danger to others. Yes. And I think, like, I, and that's the thing, like, we, we all mutually benefit yeah, together exactly where right. we have these these energies work work together this isn't some sort of like you know kind of quite gender war no, within the not. church it's of like what well, are you trying to push down but it gets you know. dismissed like that yes All yes it time. does it does oh my gosh yes started. yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah it's probably one more thing i'd say about that on the divine feminine and the divine masculine um and it would be about intuition mm. so um I think one of the things that we're missing in um, in terms of the absence of the of the divine feminine in our in some of our expressions of ecclesiology and, and church today mm-hmm. um, is our intuitive knowing. And so many of our men are, are suffering and broken because they have been cut off from their own intuitive knowing as well, yes. and they've been sold that that's the lie mm-hmm. that that's that's masculinity. Yes. Is that you shut that down, right? Yeah. You do, yeah. You're out of touch with your intuition. You're out of touch with your emotional reality. And so, mm. so many men just feel so divorced from themselves. Yes, yes. Um, but so do women. Women mm, have wow. been shut off from their intuition as well. Wow. And so I actually think that this idea of, and I, I think the church is in a reformation space, and mm. uh, I can't, it can't come quickly enough. From yeah, 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 yeah. But this idea that we might somehow be able to recapture an intuitive knowing, an intuitive Ooh, I love that. Um, yes. sense of what's, what's happening and what's emerging and attending to that in, yes. in its current expression. Yes. Um, I just think that's a beautiful idea and I do think that's a facet of the divine feminine mm. that both our men and our women are missing. Mm. Um, mm. I can remember this moment when I was sitting with my team. It was, it was mostly uh, men around the table in this executive meeting and I felt this deep intuitive sense about something that we were talking about. Yes. And I remember just shutting myself up and going, you can't say that, that's just your intuition. And I looked around the room and all these beautiful men I was sitting with and I was like, they will honour this if I if I offer it. Mm. And so I was like, guys, I have something to say. I just had this intuition about this. And they all stopped and they looked at me and I'm like, yes, what does your intuition say? Wow. And they all listened to what wow. And they were like, wow. oh, wow, yeah, that's beautiful. And it was this beautiful, it felt like a holy moment. Yes. Where Yes. God was like, yeah, the, the men want to hear it. They're yes. ready for it. Yes. They're open to it. Yes. Um, and I, it was a hopeful moment for me. Yes. And I yes. think so many men are open to that. And men who are doing recovery in the 12-step program yep. or 
yep. doing counseling or therapy or doing their own shadow work. Mm. They're all like, they're trying to lay hold of their own intuition. Yes. Um, and oh, I think for it's... so long it's been seen as the province of women. Yes. Or people yeah. who identify as female in some way. And yes. It's just, it's just missing. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. But anyway, because we know, we know when something's wrong. Mm. We know when something's off, but we've been told like, no, 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 you've got to believe what you're told. Yeah. From the pulpit. And, and it's, it's funny you say that because <laughs> like, and, and, and you're right, in society, because it has been very patriarchal, mm. we then bake that in how we do workplace or structures and organisations. We bake that into how everything. we do church. And every Everything gets baked in that patriarchy. It does, yeah. And then and you touched on before that even some women are in touch with intuition. Well, no wonder if it's so seeped in our society, really? then it then kind of soaks into yeah. to us as people. Yeah. But then I, I love what you're saying of actually being willing to allow allow uh, actually allow the holy spirit to actually recapture us as, yeah. a, as a complete person yeah. of of femininity yeah. and and healthy masculinity yeah that's right you know? and there's all sorts of wounds that need to be tended to before that can happen by yes. the way of course yes as you know yes. and so trauma yes intergenerational mm-hmm. trauma mm-hmm. Uh, and patterning and all that affect whether we can access yes. our intuition or not as you know um and so you know i think that's got to be the task of the church is yes. helping people journey to yes. do that well yes uh, and, and heal from trauma. Yes. And so they can actually recover their own intuitive knowing. Oh, mm. I love that. Mm. So what are some of the common criticisms that someone like you would face in dialogue with a complementarian? Um, look, the criticisms are so varied. They're like a, a Hydra beast, you know, with like a billion different heads. And <laughs> Took me a second. I, Hydra beast. I was like the, you know the dragon I mean? like, with all the hair. Yeah, yeah, well, my yeah. first image was Medusa. And then I was like, no, it's, it's worse than that. <laughs> That's great. Uh, and there was a time and a place where I thought it was my job to um, to call all of that out and to fight those various um, criticisms and to, um, you know, try and defeat them. Sure. And I bloodied myself and just about killed myself to wow. be trying to do that. Wow. Um, and I remember probably about a year ago, maybe six months ago, I saw a, a post come through on my social media feed and it was something about how, like, some church or denomination was patting themselves on the back because they'd had some summit where they talked about like how their women were going to be involved in leadership in their space. And I just remember thinking, and I'm out. I'm yeah. out wow. because it's 2019 and mm. you still think you get patted on the back for this. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, 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 yeah. This isn't a congratulatory bonkers. thing. This yeah. is a, that's a shame that's taken so long. It's, yeah. oh, and I just have no patience for it anymore. No yes, even. yes. And I think, um, for, for my money, the church should always be 30 years ahead of where culture is yes. on this stuff. Which makes sense, especially yeah. for people who are meant to be led by the spirit, totally. who are always meant to be further up and further in, totally. and being being the salt and light rather totally. than <laughs> rather than playing catch up. Totally. Anyway, 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 yeah. anyway, right? Yeah. And so I sort of go when we're thirty years behind. Yes. At that point, I'm just like, it's. I've decided it's not my job to reach out to all the complementarians and try and change their mind. Mm, I've wow. stopped trying. Wow. And yes. I'm like, you know what? You're God's problem now. I love <laughs> like, that. And, yes. and my approach with that now is, you know, the whole idea of the best criticism of the bad is perhaps the better. You're the second person to quote exactly that on really? this podcast. Yeah. yeah, I was just about to say that as yeah. well. That's beautiful. And wow. so instead of looking for where it's not happening, yes. I look for where it is happening mm. and I lean all of my energies into yes. breathing those embers into life yes. and cheering those people on yes. and championing those things. Because that will be the light yes. unto these other people totally. who then go... Oh, wow, they're ahead of the game. Yeah. Yes. There's a time and a place for launching a grenade in someone's direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's sometimes that's my job, and but 99% of the time it's not. Yes, um, yes. There are guys like, do you know who Mike Frost is? Yes. Yeah, so yes. Guys like Mike are out there 
he's white, he's male, he's educated, he's in a position of authority mm. in church and theological academia. He does a beautiful job of calling stuff out. Yes. So every once yes. in a while, I just send him a message and I'm like, Mike, thanks. I love yes. you. You're yeah. amazing. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Please carry on. We're all yes. relying on you. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and yes. instead I just put my energies as a woman to thinking about where is my intuition leading me about what God yes. is doing in our midst and yes. breathing into that rather than trying to deal with the criticisms. Yes. I have tried to deal with them lots over the time. Um, and I just don't bother anymore. I'm just like, oh, I was going to agree to disagree because you can. It's like trying to argue with a flat earther. I think. It's yeah. Like, oh, totally. This is this is so much baked into that totally. that their whole paradigm has to reshift. And yeah. sometimes it's 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 not that it's impossible, but maybe it's not our job. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I think it's probably God's business. Yes. And yes. as a as an Enneagram eight, and mm. as someone who's clever, mm. I know that if I wanted to, I could insert all of my thinking into mm. that place where their identity is hinged on complementarism, yank that brick out, watch it deconstruct and kind of pat myself on the back. <laughs> and that would make me evil. Yes, you know, yes, like yeah. that, I know I'm capable of it. Yes, and so I probably yes, shouldn't. Yes, yes, yes. Back away and like Because beyond the impasse of that 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 person or that or peoples and that system were just gonna totally. be a ball of it's mess. It's unkind <laughs> for me to do that and yes. I wouldn't do it in a nice way. Yes. And I wouldn't do it from a heart that loves them and wants their best. Yes. I'd do it from a you're wrong and I'm going to show exactly. you why. <laughs> you, you, yeah, it will bring a death, but maybe not necessarily yeah. a resurrection on the far side. Yeah. Right? yeah, and it would honestly it would come out of an arrogant space in me. Yeah. So I just don't bother doing it anymore. Yeah. I'm like, it's yeah, not yeah. good for me. It's not good for you. Yes. Um, let, let the spirit do what the spirit's going to do. And I'm just going to look where you're breathing life into yes. things and my yes. energy. So oh. that's, that's my response to it now. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Oh, my word. That is so good. Um, so what do people, particularly men, yeah. need to be aware of? <clears throat> um, so not to marginalise women, yeah. especially in church world, but you can speak yeah. more broadly if you want. It's up to you. Well, I think there's two different sort of arenas that you can look at. There's structural stuff and then there's relational stuff. So mm-hmm. structural stuff has to do with like paid maternity leave and mm-hmm. childcare and family-friendly mm-hmm. workplaces and so on, you know, that kind of thing. Yep. I probably won't go into that because you can sort of Google that and people yes. who should be onto that should be onto that. Yes. Like if you're in HR and you're setting up a company, you should work out how to make sure that women have equal access yeah. to all the same. And it's like... It's like, it's yeah, brainer. women give birth. Yeah. Deal with, deal with it. <laughs> anyway, right. yes. But the relational stuff is, I think, probably more what you're getting at. Yes. Okay. Um, yes. And there's a few different kind of ways. There's some beautiful articles, and again, much more clever people than me have written much more interesting stuff about this. But some of the things that I have heard and seen that have worked are things like um, amplify, uh, amplifying the voices of women in meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, like if you're sitting around at a meeting and, and you can see as a man that there's another man who's kind of dominating and there's a woman who's kind of said something and the man keeps like talking mm. over her, mm. you can say, hey, Judy, I really like that point that you made. Can you tell us a bit more about what mm. you were thinking and sort mm. of cut across it? Because yes. sometimes the dominant men will respect a man doing that more than if Judy keeps trying to talk about sure. her point, right? Sure. Yes. So amplify, uh, amplifying the voices of women in meetings is a really um, easy one to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can also just ask them, like, what's getting in the way of you writing and producing and speaking and yes. creating something? you like and how can i be part of like knocking down some of those barriers that are in your way like yes um one of my uh, colleagues in my old job i used to sometimes say to him look i ought to get this done Mm. and it's only going to work if you knock these pins down for me first and he'd be like let me out and he would just go and knock those pins down for me and then i'd be able to come through and that's um, awesome you know so having an allies like that that'll that'll work with you and who you can be honest with about what the some of the barriers you're facing are because some of them are so ridiculous you feel stupid even saying them yeah wow so you need to be able to like you you can tell me what's really in your way yes you know i need to have this conversation with this person but they 
yeah. listen to me because I go to this church or I mm. wear this or whatever. Yes. Um, I think when men can ask, like at conferences or events, like um, is there going to be childcare there and how can we organise childcare? Mm. Thinking about mm. how women, women who are caring for children are often so disadvantaged because they just can't get places. Mm. Um, mm. And so they can't be in important rooms and important meetings and important conversations where they really need to be. Mm. Um, so mm. organising childcare is a really practical thing. Yes. yes. Um, do you know those guys, um, Hot Brown Honey, you know that um, – Mm, it kind of rings a bell, but I can't. Well, I wouldn't be able to describe you need to follow it to them you. on social media. They're amazing. Okay, they're this yeah. group of First Nations women, mostly mm. from Australia and, and Polynesia, but now they're uh, I think they're sort of branching out and um, First Nations women all over the world, and, and they have all these amazing hashtags. And their whole thing is like decolonize and moisturize. Oh, oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, word to the mother and like. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, so good. And, but they say something like, um, "The revolution can't happen without childcare." Like that's one of their hashtags. That's <laughs> so awesome. long, but that's it's so awesome. true. You know? Yes, yes, yes. Um, and I think as well, just like even conversations like this, where men like yourself realize how tired we are mm. of trying to carve our own way mm. and trying to like make a case for why we belong at the table and, and knowing that women feel like that a lot of the time mm. as men being like, hi, here's a seat for you at the table and pulling one up next to you mm. is mm. really smart mm. um, and really good for women. So um, getting them to co-write books with you and produce mm. articles with you and speak on stages with yes. you and where you're invited, make sure there's women invited yes. too. And, you know, you can, as a man, I think you Absolutely. can always go, oh, who's another woman that should be in this conversation with yes. me? Yes, um, yes. Well, she might see something I don't see. And then afterwards being like, what did you think? What yes. did you see that I might not have seen? Yes. And really listening and learning. Yes. Um, uh, and I think, um, yeah, I think asking women what their intuition says yes. is good. Yes, I felt so honoured when my male colleagues used to ask me that, like, what do you really think about this? What does your gut tell you? Yes. I was like, yeah, you should listen to my gut. My gut's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Great gut. My intuition is onto some yeah, things. Sometimes, awesome. And then sometimes they'd be like, Kate, you're just wrong. That's bonkers. And I'd be like, thank you. You're right. I needed that. <laughs> and so I would go to them and be like, oh, this is what my intuition is saying. They'd be like, no, 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 you've read that wrong. This is what you're not seeing. And I'd be like, oh, okay. So being safe places where yes. women can... Test out their intuition and sharpen it and hone it. Wow, because that's the ebb and flow again. It's ebb and flow. It's a a genuine. We're not always going to be right. Yeah, and that's the a genuine complementarianism that isn't the demonic form. It's It's egalitarian. Egalitarian. Sorry, that's that's. Sorry, yes. It's okay. just we, we belong to each other and we yes. need each other. We rely yes. on each other. Yes, yes. Um, And so many, many times I, I, I had a whole a filter system that I would filter my thoughts and my writing through at, at the seminary to make sure that I was on the, on the right page. And mm. they were in the main men. And I'd be like, hey, what do you guys think of this? What, what am I missing? What yes. am I, how am I going to accidentally piss someone off or mm. step on someone's toes mm. or what have yes. I missed, you know? So yeah. we need each other. Maybe just to wrap it up. Yeah. And we've already talked about this a bit, but you might have some final thoughts on this as well, and that is what, what might a genuine egalitarian church look like in the world? Look, I think that's a great question, and I, do, I honestly don't know. Mm. I think there are some places where it's starting to emerge. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if there are places in Australia that are doing a really good job of that. Mm. Um, and I think what I'm seeing in on a global mm-hmm. landscape mm-hmm. is women are tired of not being offered a space at the table, and so they've just created their own tables. Yeah, wow. And okay. so I actually think about there's quite a lot of digital ministries going on. Yeah. Um, so I think about women like Jen Hatmaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she has, like, more more followers than all of Willow Creek, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so she's this evangelical thinker and speaker and 
writer and, and yes. she goes around traveling from other states. And then, and then her, her mates and her colleagues and, you know, comrades in yes. arms yes. in the um, in the States, people like, you know, Rachel Howard Evans, who mm. we lost recently, obviously, yes. Yes. Um, and Glennon Doyle and Abby Wambach and Sarah Bessie mm. Um, mm. and, you know, Nadia Bowles-Weber. Mm. Her church, House for All Sinners and Saints in Denver, Colorado, mm. Mm. to me is probably a great example of an egalitarian church at work. Yes. And she'd be someone who would absolutely embrace her, you know, masculine counterpart's mm. voice and not be like that sort of reactionary, angry female. You yeah. Because I think that's a stereotype that some men have. They're like, oh, if we let the women have control, they're going to hate us and kick us out and we're not going to be able to play. Mm. None mm. of these women that I see doing this in Canada and the States are doing that. They're yes. like, we just want to play too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. why don't you come to our thing now? Yes, and yes, so, yes. Um, yeah. the, the fear of systemic revenge yeah. is the whole the whole notion in the mind. Oh, it's, it's like, it's, like, well, oh, it's ridiculous. Well, it is ridiculous, yeah. And here in Australia, um, there's women like Cara Martin and Lynn Kidson and Jill Firth and Erin mm. uh, Sessions and Megan Paldetois and Tara, mm. our own Tara Conrad, mm-hmm. you know, people yep. like women like that yes. who are writing and speaking and are doing so beautifully in their contexts mm. and calling out um, spaces where women can flourish and thrive and mm. whether it's writing groups or whether it's conferences or mm. online digital, you know, communities. Um, and I think uh, I think there are places where the church is, so I don't think it's an egalitarian church, I think it's expressions of egalitarian ecclesiology. Yes, yes. Um, in, in different forms. So it mm. might not look like a building and, and seats and mm-hmm. a band up the front and someone preaching. It might yes. look like a podcast or mm. a online service that you tap into mm. um, so it might look different but yes. i actually think future church is going to look different i think, uh, I, I think I it agree. has to I think it has to. I think, yeah. especially if we are going to, in this, in this, the context of this topic, take seriously both the femininity and the masculine, masculine energies. Yeah. It's like, if it's going to be be this symbiotic relationship, mm-hmm. it won't look like the current structure because mm-hmm. the current structure is. And when I say structure, I mean, I mean, I work quite literally. Yeah, totally. How a church on a yeah. Sunday morning yeah. in a building is structured yeah. can bake into that whole service yeah. is a very power it's yeah. this yeah. what would it look like then yes yeah. yeah beyond the impasse if we had these right. these shared energies that create a whole new type of space yeah. one of my mates wrote this massive rant slash treatise one day that he sent me when he was feeling especially um existential about how like the way we do worship is violent like oh, yeah yeah oh, oh man i yeah, want like, to hear bass and, 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 wow. you know, like Wow. You know, so it's even deconstructing stuff like how is our patriarchy linked mm-hmm. into the way we think about and do our music even. Oh, you know, man, like, this is so good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. There's lots of tabs we could open up about that. Sure. But I actually just hope, um, my hope is that more and more men and women together will lean into their um, theological and spiritual imaginations about yes. what the Holy Spirit is up to. Yes. And just notice where the Holy Spirit is moving and then move in step with it and just see what happens. Because yes. I do think it's an emerging movement and yes. it will emerge as we step into it. It's yes. not something we can go, we're going to do this and then create it. I think it will, like the path yes. of Brian McLaren's book, The Road Unfolds As You Walk Along. Yes, it. I love that. And I think oh. that's how the church will evolve. It'll be like this road that we walk on and as we walk on it, it will unfold and then one day we'll go, oh, look what we did. Yes. We journeyed into this together. It emerged. Wow. Yes, yes. Which is, I think, a a divinely feminine. I was just about yes. to say, just about to say, it's an emergence. Yeah. Oh, man, there's so much, so, so many directions I want to go. Yeah, that. But, oh, fascinating. No we can open up other tabs. Other That's it. That's day. it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kate. This That's has been absolutely amazing. Yeah. Thank you. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed today's interview with my friend Kate Vos. To learn more about Kate, reach out to her at katevos.com, where you can connect with her writing, speaking, and also her consulting practice. That's it for this episode of Deeper and Wider. If you like what you heard, then please rate this episode on your podcast provider and share with your friends. To follow my work, then find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash nathan.forster or find me on either Twitter or Instagram at Nathan underscore Forster. Deeper and Wider is part of the Expansive Faith Network. To see more content like this podcast or to support our work, head over to expansivefaith.com. Until then, keep on seeking and go deeper and wider.